0: sweat in the small stuff with Brian Evans it has been a long time since I've done another one the last one was uh, I think October November when we did our gambling uh, uh, episode for uh, Dan's grand uh, trip to Las Vegas and it's been a while and I've been I busy holidays, doing a show of my own, uh, and I'm working on it. But then I got a wonderful call from Dez, host of many other podcasts on uh, Musings of a Geek, and he said he had a friend who was at San Diego State in the theater department who was working on a production of uh, Copenhagen, he's a directing student, his name is Eli. Say hello, Eli. Hi. hi, to you. And he is doing a directing project for Act 1 of Copenhagen, mm-hmm. and he was wondering if he could talk to someone who, because I did a reading of Copenhagen with Dan for On Stage Playhouse here in San Diego a while ago, this would have been like five, six, some odd years ago, and he was wondering if he could talk to me and find out, you know, what's it like, the the science and physics involved in that. So I'm turning it over to Eli, where he's going to be asking me questions and I get to pontificate on my science knowledge. (laughs) So Eli, what do you want to know about Copenhagen?
1: Well, first, thank you so much, Brian, for meeting me on the Saturday. And uh, so basically this is part of a combined project, I am di- I'm in directing to, This is Copenhagen it is a 40-minute production for this class, but I'm also in another class of uh, dramaturgy. So I'm acting both as the director and dramaturge for this uh, particular production. So for the podcast um, in my class, we have this small project of 10-minute pre-show introduction for the audience. So, this, um, this podcast will be mainly aimed to prepare the audience going into the theater to see this very, very exciting and very peculiar play. <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. Yes. Um, yes.
0: So, mm-hmm. for those who may not know, what is a dramaturg?
1: Mm-hmm. So, a dramaturg, we have been talking about what a dramaturg is since the first day of the class. And the definition is not as defined as like a director, you direct or an actor, you act on stage. It's more a behind the scene uh, researcher for the theater to, I would say, prepare the ground for the show to um, explore and to uh, solidify why do this play in this particular moment and what are the um, perhaps technical details the dramaturg will help I'll prepare uh, an actor's packet for the actors when if it's for Copenhagen I imagine the act- actors packet would involve a lot of physics <laughs> and a glossary yeah. of um, f- uh, terms and phrases that they should be um, aware of they don't have to become a rocket scientist by the end of the play <laughs> but they should have some ideas of what they're talking about okay. and that would be part of the
0: sure. Mm-hmm. So Copenhagen mm-hmm. is a play based on uh their, it's set in the 1930s if I it, it's it's been a while since I did uh, it it's in the 30s where Niels Bohr mm-hmm. and uh uh I forget Heisenberg's first Werner. name Werner, yeah Werner Werner, Werner Heisenberg, Heisenberg yeah. had a meeting mm-hmm. just before Germany invaded Mm -hmm. Denmark. Heisenberg Mm -hmm. is a German, Bohr is a Dane. Mm -hmm. And they were both involved in physics. And Mm -hmm. indeed, in real life, they actually had a meeting um, Mm -hmm. at Niels Mm Bohr's house and nobody knows exactly yeah. what it was that they talked about it. Um, Both of them survived mm-hmm. the the Second World War, mm-hmm. and they did kind of talk about mm-hmm. it, but Bohr was never really that specific about mm-hmm. what happened, and Heisenberg kept on changing yeah. the story. Mm-hmm. And so there were questions as to, okay, what were they talking mm-hmm. about? Because Bohr ended up uh, escaping to mm-hmm. uh, the West, yeah. and Heisenberg went back to Germany and they mm-hmm. were both working on the nuclear bomb mm-hmm. and uh, the West got it mm-hmm. and Germany didn't and mm-hmm. so there's all sorts of questions yeah. of was Heisenberg deliberately sabotaging mm-hmm. this because Bohr was his friend and blah 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 so there's a whole yeah. lot of stuff mm-hmm. so how what it you're only doing the first act yes okay. I'm only doing the first so act. so what is it that you need to to know what would you like to know about mm-hmm. the physics do you want to know about the physics of it?
1: I'm actually very interested in what you as an actor okay. um would want the audience to know going into the theater.
0: okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple things that might happen. There's obviously there's things like uh, like program notes that mm-hmm. the audience gets to read beforehand. And in mm-hmm. a play like this, you really kind of need to do that because mm-hmm. the play, as it's structured, it's very metaphorical because yes. there's only mm-hmm. three people in it there there's bohr there's heisenberg and then there's bohr's wife margaret, margaret. Yeah. and they i saw the production when it was on tour mm-hmm. when it first i don't think it was the first, it was i the first or second tour when it came mm-hmm. through and mm-hmm. it's a very bare stage mm-hmm. with just two chairs and there's questions of when you sit down and when you yeah. get up and the orbiting and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so there was kind of a visual concept of mm-hmm. the internal structure of an atom, at least of a sort of a hydrogen atom, yeah. where you have the nucleus and uh, mm-hmm. an electron that's orbiting. Granted, with three people, you have two electrons, yeah. and it's, you know, <laughs> they, but it's metaphorical. And so yeah. therefore, you can get into that. So a lot of the play is a bunch of questions mm-hmm. about why are we doing this? What are we doing? Yeah. Why are we even talking about this meeting yeah. that we nobody seems to know yeah. about? I think the whole first bit mm-hmm. is they're saying, yeah, we're dead. We're ghosts. We're spirits. Yeah. Nobody even cares about this anymore. Why are we talking about mm-hmm. it? So a lot of that mimics what we know about how physics works at a very, very small scale. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... There's a a, a poem that I recall, and it's old enough that I remember it from when I was in college, 20-some-odd years ago, and it kind of develops the history of of physics over Mm -hmm. time. And it starts off with, in the beginning there was Aristotle, Mm -hmm. and objects at rest tended to remain at rest, Mm -hmm. but objects in motion tended to come to rest, and God looked down upon the world and saw that it was boring. So God created Newton. And uh, suddenly there, God created Newton. And objects in motion, objects at rest tended to remain at rest. But objects in motion tended to remain in motion. Mm-hmm. And energy was conserved and momentum was conserved. And God looked down upon the world and saw that it was... Conservative, So God created Einstein, and the universe was filled with inertial reference frames. And while some of it was especially relative, some of it was generally so. And God looked down upon the world and decided that he was going to create Bohr. And there was the principle, and the principle was quantum. And while some all things were quantized, some things were still relative. And God looked down upon the world and saw that it was confusing. So God was going to create Ferguson, and he would have fielded a theory and unified everything and all would have been as one that it was the seventh day and God rested and things at rest tend to remain at rest and so that kind of describes Mm -hmm. how it is Mm -hmm. that we have understood our science Aristotle's physics is very straightforward, Mm -hmm. you just take a look and whatever it is that happens that's what happens and so that's why he said objects at rest tend to remain Mm -hmm. at rest you put something down, it's going to stay there Mm -hmm. and if you push it it eventually comes to a halt, and so he had this idea that the natural state of things is to be at rest. Mm-hmm. But then Newton, and through the work of Galileo, I mean that little poem yeah. kind of skips all over Galileo. And Galileo did an awful lot of stuff, but Newton comes, he certainly develops the the mathematics behind mm-hmm. it through the calculus of being able to say, no things in motion tend to remain in motion mm-hmm. unless they are acted on by an outside force. But that leads to the question of, yeah, okay, well, if I push a little book along the table, yeah. it comes to a yeah. stop. You, you, how do you explain mm. that? And the answer is, well, there's this thing called friction. Mm. And it slowly bleeds yeah. off the energy. You have the energy of motion, and it will keep going. And when we went to the moon, we saw this because there's no air on the moon. Yeah. And you throw things, and they don't stop mm. until eventually gravity comes mm. along, and they hit the moon and stop. And so that's indeed the way it was. But even Newton had a very linear view mm. of how kinematics works Mm -hmm. and by that i mean is that there is no limit to how fast you can go there is no limit to how much Mm -hmm. energy you can have etc it's it's if you the the thing is like if you on a train and you Mm -hmm. throw a ball in the direction of the train Mm -hmm. you have both the speed of the train Mm -hmm. and any speed that you gave Mm -hmm. the ball and the ball will go even faster Mm -hmm. than the train so that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. But then we started finding through experiments in light, through Einstein mm-hmm. and Heisenberg and Bohr and Lorentz and a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other scientists, that it doesn't quite work that way. There is mm-hmm. indeed a speed limit, the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Nothing can go faster than the speed of light is yeah. what they found. Yeah. So it becomes not a linear universe, but a relative universe. And by that, it means is that even the concept of being at rest doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. in a relative universe, because you're only at rest relative to something, something else that or and, and if according if as long as those two things mm. are moving in exactly the same mm. way then from one standpoint you're looking at the other yep it's at rest it's mm. not moving compared to me mm-hmm. and we see this on our own thing i'm on the earth but the earth is rotating and orbiting the sun mm. which is orbiting the galaxy mm-hmm. and the galaxy is moving through space and yet this thing right here it's not moving mm-hmm. cuz according to because it's it's sharing mm-hmm. all of that other motion mm-hmm. with respect to me. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of what Einstein was doing with relativity mm-hmm. and that deals a lot with large scale structures. You're mm-hmm. dealing with gravity and the size of the universe. Quantum mechanics on the other hand goes in the other direction. It's dealing with the really tiny things mm-hmm. in the universe. Stuff that's on the quantum scale. Uh, and by that I mean, just as there's a speed limit to how big things can be, mm-hmm. there also apparently is a lower bound. There's mm-hmm. only a, there's a limit to how small things can be, and it's called a quantum, mm-hmm. because you you either have at least that minimum bit, mm-hmm. or you don't have anything at all. Mm-hmm. So there is no minor things, and uh-huh. so. This gets into things like what Heisenberg is very famous for is his uncertainty principle. Mm-hmm. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle states that you cannot measure the momentum of a particle and its position with infinite precision. Mm-hmm. And by momentum, that means in what direction is it moving and how fast is it going. That's, that's what momentum is. Uh, so the equation is uh, or it should say, yeah, the, the equation if I recall correctly is uh, delta x, which stands for its position, uh, the change in its position specifically. Delta is the, the physics symbol. that's a little yeah. d. It's the physical symbol for change. Mm-hmm. Um, delta x for position. And delta rho, which is the variable for momentum. Mm-hmm. You multiply those two bits together for the amount of change. Because if you get more and more precise, mm-hmm. that change becomes smaller and smaller mm-hmm. and smaller. Um, the product of those two is always greater and let's see if I remember my physics here, I believe it's h-bar over 2, which is Planck's constant, h, mm-hmm. divided by 2. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that h is this tiny little small thing, but it does mean you can't get it specific. Mm-hmm. If, if you get more precise on one, you necessarily get more imprecise on the other. You can get really accurate mm-hmm. positions, but you can't be perfect. And a good way to visualize this is if you take a picture of a car Mm -hmm. on a racetrack as it's passing you by. If you take it with a regular camera, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to, if it's going really fast, it'll be very, very blurry as it goes by. Mm -hmm. So, given that you know how long the shutter was open and that sort of thing, you can sort of say, okay, well the car, the end of the car, because of the blur, was here Mm -hmm. and then you can sort of see the smear and see that it was here. Mm -hmm. I have a pretty good idea of how fast it was going because I know how far that is, and I know how long it was. Mm -hmm. Well, distance over time, that's Mm -hmm. velocity, and I know the direction it was going. So I have a very good idea about its momentum. Mm -hmm. But it's smeared across that entire Mm -hmm. thing. I have really no idea where it it was at any given moment. I know that it started here and it Mm -hmm. ended here and I have its average velocity, but I don't really have a good idea of where it was at any particular given moment. So what I can do is I can use faster and faster film. And Mm -hmm. so it opens up the shutter much faster Mm -hmm. and that smear becomes less and less and less and less until it freezes. At which point I know exactly where it is, but I can't tell whether or not it's moving or if it's just sitting there. And so that's essentially, in a nutshell, what the Heisenberg Mm -hmm. uncertainty principle is. Now how it relates to building an atomic bomb, Mm -hmm. I'm not a physicist, I'm a mathematician. (laughs) I used to remember all this stuff Mm -hmm. way back when, but then that was basic physics and then I forgot about it because I needed to work on my abstract algebra. So there's that. But that's what Heisenberg was primarily known for. Now, Bohr, his work was dealing with the internal structure of the atom Mm -hmm. itself and realizing with this quantum state that, okay, you have the nucleus of an atom and you have the electron that's on the outside Mm -hmm. that's that's around it. And what he realized was, along with a lot of other people, is that there are only certain states that that electron can exist in while it's around there. It, there's what it's called the ground state, which is the lowest amount of energy that it has. And we talked about there's there's I have, when we were talking about the uh, 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 um, periodic table, when we were talking about the orbital shells, go back and see my old episode about the periodic table. You can deal with that. Um, but For instance, when a photon comes and hits that electron and gives it some more energy, it will jump out. But there's only certain levels that it can jump to, a quantum state Mm -hmm. of energy. Only so much energy can exist for Mm -hmm. it to think. It can't exist really anywhere in between. Now, what he really found, what we have since discovered, it's not so much that it's absolutely physically impossible. Mm -hmm. It's just so statistically unlikely for it to exist anywhere except in these Mm -hmm. certain positions. And that has to deal with, for dealing with a a, a uranium atom, for how it decays, etc., for how much energy you need to use. If you take a neutron and you throw it at a Mm -hmm. uranium atom, how much energy is required for it to hit it in a certain way that it will split. Mm -hmm. That then generates energy and a couple more neutrons, which can go and hit Mm -hmm. more uranium, which will then split. You get your chain reaction Mm -hmm. and boom, if you don't control it. So... That's between those two of being able to determine the exact amount of energy that you need and how it deals mm-hmm. with. You can see why the two of them would want to talk to each other because they're yeah. both dealing with, mm-hmm. at yeah. least from a pure scientific standpoint, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be an atom and how does it work mm-hmm. and etc. cetera. So that sort of process of being able to say the large down to mm. the small and why we still haven't figured it out yet because the physics that Einstein developed mm. in order to deal with very, very large-scale structures is great. It's why we can get to Mars. It's mm. why have, we have GPS and can uh, see all the way back through the telescope, space telescopes to these galaxies that are mm. at the dawn of the universe they don't really work very well down at the small scale. Mm -hmm. And similarly, the physics at the very, very small scale is very, very good. It's why we have things like fiber optics Mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. It doesn't really work at very large scales. And so we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to get the two together. Mm-hmm. Now whether or not Heisenberg and Bohr would have been able to figure this mm-hmm. out, hard to say, because a lot of this stuff we didn't really learn until, you know, it's in the 1960s and the mm-hmm. 80s, and even now, they just turned on the Hadron Collider and managed to mm-hmm. find the supersymmetry with mm-hmm. the uh, Higgs boson and blah blah blah. And I'm throwing out a lot of jargon. <laughs> but if what I wanted to to tell the audience to condense that down mm-hmm. Is that from the play's presentation, it may seem like nothing ever gets said. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of talking around a subject Mm -hmm. rather than actually zeroing in on it. Mm -hmm. And that was done... As a way of dramatizing the concept of I can't get a solid answer. Mm -hmm. If I nail down this part, Mm -hmm. this part suddenly becomes very confusing and we don't know what Mm -hmm. it is. So if I start paying attention to that and start getting down, this becomes fuzzy again. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what that is. So that's why a Mm -hmm. lot of the dialogue is questioning without a real answer Mm -hmm. and going back to rehash stuff that you thought you had already mm-hmm. talked about because now we've got a new piece of information which throws everything off that we had done yeah. before. So that's kind of how I would condense all that down, mm-hmm. is that there? there is a science behind it that this is trying to dramatize. Now, that said, pet peeve of mine mm-hmm. is people using hard physics to mm-hmm. try and explain human psychology yes. mm-hmm. and... It doesn't work that way, Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. because one of the things one of the common metaphors Mm -hmm. of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is that the observer affects the observed. Mm -hmm. And basically what that means is that if you have a tiny little atom and you're trying to figure out where it is, Mm -hmm. well, you got to see it somehow. You have to detect it. And the only way that we can detect it is to touch it. And that might be by bouncing a photon off it and then detecting where the photon went or something. It's not like physically touch Mm But you have to interact with it somehow. But the act of interacting with it, Mm -hmm. because it's so small, changes it dramatically. Mm -hmm. And so people seem to think, okay, well, this means people. If I look at you, suddenly you're changing and stuff like that. And there are indeed psychological aspects Mm -hmm. that if you tell people, I'm watching watching you, you. suddenly their behavior changes Mm -hmm. because they know they're being watched. That's not the uncertainty principle. Mm -hmm. That... It's a nice little, the concept of the observer affects Mm -hmm. the observed is a lovely metaphor. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that it's just a metaphor. And Mm -hmm. so therefore, the play is not a dramatic interpretation Mm -hmm. of the actual uncertainty principle. Mm -hmm. It's just using that concept Mm -hmm. of uncertainty to deal with the psychology of the Mm -hmm. characters involved. Mm -hmm. So now that I've rambled on (laughs) for 20 minutes... What's your next question?
1: <laughs> that, that was fantastic, uh, by the way. Um, okay. There's like a really, yeah, I think a lot of times when we think about like physics, like concepts, or like mathematic uh, equations, we mm-hmm. think like it's just there. Like yeah. It's always been there and it will forever be there yeah. like that. But there's a huge and a very long process of coming to that equation and a very long history with actual people. Yeah. Working oh, yeah.
0: on it, yes yeah. there's mm-hmm. um, I think it was Newton that mm-hmm. said, "If I have seen further than others, it 's only because i 'm standing on the mm-hmm. shoulders of giants mm-hmm. for science and indeed almost everything in human endeavor." Mm-hmm. The only reason that we have been able to get as far as we have mm-hmm. and be able to continue on is because of all the work that everybody else did mm-hmm. to get us here. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like you can just wake up one day and deal mm-hmm. with it. And we see the kids these days. I mean, I realize <laughs> you're so much bigger than I am. And what you know, mm-hmm. just kind of starting off because mm-hmm. the culture has assimilated mm-hmm. all of this work yeah. and integrated it into how we talk and how we mm-hmm. think and why we say the things we mm-hmm. say and how we interact with the way that we do. I'm dealing with the fact that I I did not grow up with cell phones mm-hmm. and computers. I was there when the, when the very first computer, that Apple II and mm-hmm. the TRS-80 yes. and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, when they were brand new. When, oh, my God, I have 256 bytes of memory. Do you know what I could do with 256 compared to terabytes of storage mm-hmm. that we have now down there where a computer that used to be, you know, a gigantic box is now there's more processing power in this mm-hmm. phone than there was in my very first computer, which was, the you know, a good sized laptop these mm-hmm. days. And that didn't even include the monitor because you had to hook it up to the television. Mm-hmm. So... I see that a lot in this where, where they talk about Stuff that came before mm-hmm. and how they got to where it is because that's an awful big thing about dealing with the World War II and mm-hmm. why it is that they got to where they were and the decision that needs to be made the interaction between mm-hmm. them that splits them off yes. to say that Bohr is saying this mm-hmm. and Heisenberg is saying this and they have to go back to their respective mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. and live with this interaction that happened with mm-hmm. them and so it's 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 very fascinating. Mm-hmm. I I can I've seen a lot of people they see Copenhagen and they're like it's it's a difficult play I'm not going to deny it uh, having done it Mm -hmm. having seen it I think I get a little bit more out of it because I understand the physics Mm -hmm. involved but even my friends who understand the physics sometimes Mm -hmm. go to this play and it's just like oh my god could something happen? Could please just <laughs> something happen? And it never does. There, mm-hmm. there, There is no payoff mm-hmm. because we don't know what they talked about. We don't know what mm-hmm. it is. And he did not want to – the author did not mm-hmm. want to impose anything upon them. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to – Speculate. Yes. Speculate about what it might have been about and what it could have been. And if Mm -hmm. they walked down this road, it would have been this kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. what if it had been that thing? And that gets into the many worlds hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Here's another possibility. Because there is what's known as the Copenhagen Interpretation of Mm -hmm. Quantum Mechanics. And the reason it's called the Copenhagen Interpretation is because Bohr, primarily, he wasn't the only one who came up with it, but he did a lot of the work regarding it. And since he was a Dane in Copenhagen... That's what it's dealt with. It has to deal with the fact that in quantum mechanics, um, because you, it, it's kind of related to uncertainty, because you don't know. You cannot determine what the quantum state of something is until you observe it. And the classic example of this is Schrodinger's cat. Poor kitty. This poor, bereft kitty. Um, The idea is that you take a cat, and you put it in a box that you can't see inside. And inside the box, you have a poison gas Mm -hmm. capsule. And it is attached to a radioactive detonator that has a 50-50 chance of going off within the next hour, say. So you wait an hour. Okay. Is the cat alive or dead? There's a 50/50 chance that it's thing and until you actually look in the box, you don't know. And that's what quantum mechanics is, in, is a lot. There's an actual experiment called the two-slit experiment. Mm-hmm. Where you take two, take a, a, a barrier and you cut two tiny little slits in it that are very, very close together. And then you start throwing photons or electrons even at these slits. Now, if you just have one slit, if there's only one thing in there and you take a beam at it, you get it on the other side of it, you get a nice shiny stripe where there's just the one slit. If you have the two slits in there and you shine a beam on it, you get what's called an interference pattern. And we see this all the time in waves is because light behaves like a wave. Mm -hmm. And that's because the waves start interfering with each other. Because the ones that go through this thing are pulsing like this. And the ones that go through this slit are pulsing like this. And depending upon how they're pulsing together, some of those pulses will overlap and reinforce each other. Some of them will overlap and cancel each other out. And so on the other side, you get this interference pattern of where they reinforced each other and where they interfered. So now what you can do is you start turning down the intensity of the beam
1: so just to yeah. uh, recap a little bit, yeah. the interference patterns is basically, you don't see just two stripes, you see right. like many stripes. A lot of stripes, yes. a lot of stripes.
0: Mm-hmm. So you see a whole bunch of them. And I will get a picture into this video podcast, but if you're only listening to the audio, thank you for reminding <laughs> me that. You see this interference pattern of a, of a bright stripe and a dark, and a bright stripe and a dark, and a bright stripe. Now it's brightest in the middle, and it starts mm-hmm. fading off on the other things, but still you get this, not just two stripes, but a whole bunch of mm-hmm. them. So then what you do is you start turning down the intensity. So rather than getting a continual beam of light that has a lot of waves, you have just a single photon going towards the slits. Now you would think you're only going to get two stripes out of that. It either goes through the one slit or it goes through the other slit. And so therefore you'll get all the stripes that are on the side of one and all the ones that went through the other thing. But instead, you get a full interference pattern. It's as if that single photon is interfering with itself. And that's because of this uncertainty. Because it's being unobserved, it has these two quantum states. We don't know which one it went through. And so it's behaving. It really is behaving as if the one photon goes through both slits at the same time. And because it went through both slits, it starts to interfere with each other on the other side. And you get this interference pattern. It's really, really weird. So that aspect of, how do you interpret that? How can we possibly get this? And One interpretation of this quantum is called the Copenhagen Interpretation, Mm -hmm. which means that photon does indeed exist in both states at the same time. The cat is both alive and dead at the same time, and it only resolves itself when you open the box and take a look. I always say the cat itself knows whether or not it's alive or dead, <laughs> and it's very upset that you put it in a box without any milk. So, but that's that's another little thing. So, but the thing is we can actually physically see this. We can mm-hmm. see that it does indeed do that. The other common interpretation mm-hmm. of quantum mechanics is called the many worlds hypothesis, mm-hmm. which says that no, you don't have a single particle existing in two state- states simultaneously. Instead, You have every time there's a quantum decision to be made, the entire universe splits Mm -hmm. into one where it went through one and one where it went through the other. And until we make the observation, that's when we can Mm -hmm. determine which universe we happen to be in. And that's what collapses it out. And so that's it's it's really spooky. Now, there's other interpretations of quantum physics to try and deal with that because both of these concepts will make your head explode even the the common thing is like anybody who tells you that they understand quantum yeah. mechanics is lying to you because even quantum physicists mm-hmm. don't really get it because it's so counterintuitive because one of the spooky things is that you can set up detectors on the slits that are minimally invasive upon mm-hmm. the photon. Mm-hmm. And if you turn that on, rather than getting the interference mm-hmm. pattern, you get the two yeah. stripes. <laughs> so if you actually watch the photon as it goes through, oh, I'm not interfering with myself. <laughs> but then even more spooky, if you destroy that information, mm-hmm. the interference pattern comes oh. back. It's just, ah. Oh! So yes. No, and <laughs> there's there's no comprehending the concept. And that is really Even though that was done much later, Mm -hmm. that really is a lot of this piece of this thing Mm -hmm. of you're observing something and you think you've got it Mm -hmm. down and it's resolved into the two slits. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you take away something, Mm -hmm. it all comes back. And so there's Mm -hmm. an awful lot of that in this play. So I think as a directing thing, Mm -hmm. if you can sort of get that Mm -hmm. sense of... I think we've got it something. Mm -hmm. Oh, but then something has made me lose it. And now everything is a jumble again. And Mm -hmm. we try and focus on another thing and then everything goes on a jumble. Mm -hmm. You just need to be very, very careful that you don't leave everybody just floating. Mm -hmm. And I realize that this is like the third time that I've said (laughs) this, but that that would be my advice to you. Uh, Okay. What else would you like to know?
1: A little bit of a comment, I thought it was uh, tremendously interesting that you mentioned uh, interpretation, mm-hmm. because that's kind of not how lay people think of science. Mm-hmm. Lay people often think of science as this hard fact. Yeah, That's yeah. how we use the mm-hmm. word fact and objectivity. Mm-hmm. And we think of science as something you observe, it's there, it's just that. Right. And it tells an universal truth. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying about quantum mechanics is that you need A theory to understand a certain phenomenon and without and depending on the theory it will the phenomenon would have different meanings yeah to
0: there's there's Mm -hmm. quantum mechanics in the mathematics of infinity is sort of another Mm -hmm. thing is a place where a lot of people get philosophical Mm -hmm. about what it is that they're doing Mm -hmm. certain things about science are very much like you said Mm -hmm. you you uh, you know Take the ball and you throw yeah. it and it has this mark mm. and it's like, it's like that. It's mm. not like, well, if I interpret it in this other yeah. way, the ball actually went up yeah. as opposed yeah. to going down. But even so, in that kind concept, you can interpret it that the ball is the center of the universe mm. and it did not fall to the earth. Okay. Instead, the earth came up to uh-huh. it. The problem with that is that if you go with that and there's nothing saying that you can't, Mm -hmm. it just makes physics an awful lot more complicated. This goes back to the the concept of does the the earth Earth go around the sun or does the sun go around the earth? There's nothing stopping us from having an entire, it actually works Ptolemaic mm-hmm. version of the solar system where the mm-hmm. earth is at the center and everything goes around it it's just that then you have to start getting all of these epicycles so that the sun mm-hmm. is going around the earth but Venus is going around the mm-hmm. sun as it goes around and everything starts and then you have to be able to figure out so why does Mars or Mercury I should say why does mm-hmm. Mercury which is going around the earth suddenly go backwards every now and mm-hmm. again and that sort of thing and that's because Mercury, that Mars has to be orbiting in its own little vague orbit of its own as it's orbiting the Earth. Mm -hmm. You can do that, but the math is so complicated Mm -hmm. to try and deal with that and come up with an accurate, to be able to say, okay, in three years' time, where is Mars going to be Mm -hmm. in the sky? If you do an interpretation of the Earth as the center Mm. of the universe, that's a very difficult question. Mm. If you set the sun as the center of the solar system, that becomes a much easier question. Mm. And so that's, in some sense, when scientists talk about interpretation, Mm. they're really, a lot of times, talking about what makes the math easier to deal with. (laughs) And if you're going to be doing experiments, you have to be able to get your head around, Mm. what is it that I'm doing? Why, Why... do I need to perform this experiment as opposed to that experiment? And if I do perform this experiment, what would be a significant result? Mm. Because, okay, so I dropped this and it fell on the table. Um... What was it I was measuring again? Why do I care Mm -hmm. about this and things? So I need to have an interpretation Mm -hmm. of what it is that I'm doing. And so that's Mm -hmm. the concept, is that we see an effect. When you do the two-slit experiment, you get the interference pattern. Mm -hmm. But we need to be able to figure out what's actually happening that Mm -hmm. causes that to think. Because I can do the math. The math is Mm -hmm. easy to do. You can can do the wave equations and Mm -hmm. measure this and all that sort of stuff and explain perfectly mathematically. But as a concept in my head, and then to be able to, now that I know this is true, what can I do with it? Mm-hmm. I need to have an interpretation. Is not indeed a question of it's in a superposition? Because if it is the superposition where it's in both places at the mm-hmm. same time, Can I leverage that? Mm -hmm. And through the Bell experiment, we have found out that we can indeed leverage this kind of superposition. But then that starts leading into questions of, okay, well, that means information Mm -hmm. is traveling instantaneously across the universe, Mm -hmm. and that's not allowed by relativity. So how do we interpret this such that we don't break relativity? Or do we have to break relativity? Is indeed relativity broken such that we need to come up? So that's what Mm -hmm. we're talking about with quantum mechanics. But since we're humans and we deal with metaphors, we talk about this many-worlds hypothesis Mm -hmm. where we start thinking, okay, well, what does that mean? (laughs) If there are indeed an infinite number of universes Uh and because these universes are splitting – Um, Every time there's a quantum event, that means not just an infinite number of universes, but uh, an uncountably large number of universes. If you take a look at my infinity show, you'll understand the difference between infinity and the continuum and aleph null and aleph one. That type of stuff. It's hard. It's hard for us, Mm -hmm. and we have to figure out a way to wrap our heads around it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of it is philosophical, and a lot of it is just how can we get the math to work? We have to Mm -hmm. come up with a way of visualizing it that helps us see what it is that we're doing so that we can actually get an answer. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay? Yeah. Uh, So I do have a question. I think you... uh, worked on this show before mm-hmm. so like you obviously you like it to a certain extent well, yes to, to, to an work extent. on it. <laughs> to, to work on it so why this why why copenhagen
0: um well a the 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 most simplest reason was that dan asked me to do it dan okay. wanted to do it he said brian you actually understand this mm-hmm. and you can help me because i i can't remember i think i was playing uh, I think it was playing Bohr mm-hmm. and he was playing Heisenberg. And so he said, like, You can explain to me yeah. what it is that I'm talking about because uh-huh. he really liked the show uh-huh. and it's a cerebral run. And in the theater, there aren't that many shows that deal with science. Mm-hmm. Um, Arcadia is another one mm-hmm. and that also kind of deals with the question of superpositioning and, mm-hmm. and relative. It's more relativity mm-hmm. it's not really as deep down into the sciences as say copenhagen mm-hmm. is it's more using relativity as a metaphor mm-hmm. rather than actually talking about the yeah. science but this is one that actually deals with real people talking about mm-hmm. the science um i think picasso lapano gil has picasso and and uh einstein mm-hmm. talking to each other so from someone who has a science background As well as a theatrical background, to be able to work into a piece that really deals with hard science Mm -hmm. and doesn't, and while uses it as a metaphor, actually talks about it and tries to, even if it's in its own small way, carry that information to people who are not scientists Mm -hmm. and help them understand what this is. That appeals to me very, very much. Mm -hmm. That's part of the reason that I do these podcasts is because. Not well, while not every single podcast that I've done has been about the sciences, a lot of them are. Mm. And I'm, this is one reason that I really wanted to get mm. you on. There's like, oh, we get to talk yeah. about my theater side. Yeah. Yes, and talk about these details and why they're so important. Yeah. Um, because paying attention to theatrical details Mm -hmm. when doing a theatrical piece. You have to do that. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to understand what is the subject of what we're talking Mm -hmm. about and what do I want my audience to be able to get out Mm -hmm. of it. And one of that is indeed to help humanize the scientists, Mm -hmm. the fact that they were dealing... A lot of people... We had sort of talked about this before we got started. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a degree in in math and another one in, in the arts. And if I were to ever go back to school, I'd probably get a degree in sociology to Mm -hmm. talk about the interrelationship between Mm -hmm. the arts and the sciences, because people don't view them in the same mm-hmm. way. They use them in their things, but the way people deal with science, kind of as you say, people see science as, as very hard, mm-hmm. regimented, mm-hmm. disciplined, it's mm-hmm. this way and it's the only thing that can mm-hmm. be done. And therefore a lot of people see scientists as cold and heartless mm-hmm. and emotionless mm-hmm. and not having this thing. And one of the big things in Copenhagen mm-hmm. is the the possibility that Heisenberg understood what it would mean Mm -hmm. if Germany got the bomb and did he Sabotage that effort because he was one of the big scientists on the German uh, uh, thing to deal with that. And you take a look at his work, and he is making very fundamental errors that mm-hmm. someone of his expertise should not have been making. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things is that you, when you make an a uranium a uranium fission bomb, you don't just take a hunk of uranium and whack it really hard and hope that it explodes, because the neutrons that come in will have too much energy. Mm-hmm. and the reaction won't happen. And if there's too much energy, the substance just falls apart mm-hmm. and you can't—you have to contain the reaction. So you need to have a mediator mm-hmm. that absorbs some of the energy of the neutrons so that they hit in a particular way. And there's lots of things that you can do with it. For an actual nuclear reactor, they use graphite rods, they've got water, there's a lot of water in there uh, to help regulate this. He insisted on using heavy water. Now, heavy water is made out of deuterium. Um, deuterium is an isotope of hydrogen, where instead of having just a single proton and a single electron, it's got two protons. Deuterium. So, And there's also tritium that's got three mm-hmm. protons in there as well. But deuterium is two protons and a single electron uh, going around. Or it's... I th- is it two protons? I think, no, it's not two protons. Sorry. It's a proton and a neutron. Because two protons would be a helium nucleus, and that's that's completely different. So everything is that. It's t- a proton and a neutron. And that's what makes it electrically neutral, because mm-hmm. it's got the one yeah. positive charge and the one negative charge. But it's heavy, because it's got an, a neutron. And a neutron is just as big as a proton, mass-wise. So it's heavier. It doesn't have the same... Um, absorption rate as regular water does. You would want to use regular water in a nuclear reactor for if you're just generating power Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And yet he was insisting because they were doing experiments on making a nuclear reactor before Mm -hmm. they got to the bomb because in order to understand how to make the bomb, you need to understand how fission works. To understand how fission works, it helps to have a nuclear reactor where Mm -hmm. you can control the reaction. So he was insisting upon using this deuterium-based water why? Someone as smart as he is mm-hmm. should have known. No, you don't want to use deuterium. You need You want to use like beryllium or graphite or just plain water. Mm-hmm. That would do an awful lot. Did he know? Did mm-hmm. he know what it was that there was going? Mm-hmm. And it would mean the death of people like Bohr and his mm-hmm. friends and that sort of thing. But then there's questions of afterwards, mm-hmm. he has all of these conflicting stories mm-hmm. about what it was that they were talking about and this. Is he trying to save face? to the German people uh, to say that I wasn't a traitor, yeah. I just screwed it up, um, and so you have all of these conflicting things mm-hmm. of going in there, and that I think is one of the big things to learn about Heisenberg mm-hmm. through this play, is that question of why did he do what he do, and even if we will never know mm-hmm. why, there's a whole bunch of very human reasons mm-hmm. for why it might have happened. It mm-hmm. might have been that he just made a mistake because people latch onto yeah. ideas and I'm certain that this yeah. is absolutely the way that it has to work. And Because when the bomb went off, mm-hmm. when Hiroshima went off, yeah. he was quoted as saying... Oh, no, no. Yeah. It wasn't a uranium bomb. It was just some, some you know, American thing has pulled a fast one uh. on everyone. Because the only way to make a uranium bomb do that, you would need tons yeah. of uranium to do this. Because it's that's not the way uranium works. Was he just being an... A, a, wrong was he was he wrong was he being consciously wrong if he was consciously wrong why was he consciously mm-hmm. wrong is it because he was he his he was ego right. well, was yeah. he being listened to yeah. was was he concerned about being a traitor was it just ego mm-hmm. i know that i'm right and how yeah. dare someone prove me wrong yeah. there's all sorts of human reasons mm-hmm. for that and then similarly with Bohr, there's the question of you know, can I get you out? Mm. Do, you, do you really understand what it is that you are asking of me? And I, if I help you, what does that mean? Mm. Did, do, did Bohr understand what it is? Mm. So therefore, did he deliberately send Heisenberg mm. down the wrong path mm. to say, no, you need to, because t- we don't know what they talked about. Yeah. So it could be that Heisenberg came to him with questions and Bohr gave him wrong answers. And even then, is it because didn't know what he was talking about was uh, we don't know mm. but that's a big thing about Copenhagen is that we're dealing with this question of we are doing something that has the potential mm. of killing everybody on the planet when we set off the nuclear bomb we had no idea whether or not it would ever stop mm. um Oppenheimer says I have become as yeah. deaf and I though I think that was with the hydrogen bomb rather than the the uranium the a bomb the h bomb but even so it's this question of, We don't know if it's going to stop. We're throwing Mm. all of this energy. We might set the atmosphere on fire Mm, and kill literally everything on the planet. Are we still going to do this? Do we Mm. still have to do this? And that leads into questions of should we have even built the bomb? Should we have dropped it? Mm. And there's a whole lot of ethical questions that Mm -hmm. came out there. And scientists really do think about this. They really, really do. Um, The fact that their decisions are often wrong Mm-hmm. doesn't mean they don't care um it it's just, you you have to keep doing what your your not only your ethics and your philosophy, but also, I hate to use, I like this phrase, what your passion is telling you to do. <laughs> and it's such a theatrical, artsy-fartsy sort of word, and I'm following your passion. But that really is why scientists do what they do. They really care about this stuff. They really want to know. Mm-hmm. and they th- th- There's a reason that people get into this stuff. I mean, uh, I find mathematics fascinating. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can take these very abstract concepts mm-hmm. of numbers and manipulate them in these certain ways, and you get these things, and they relate to real things in the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing to me, and I really, really like it. And that's why I do these things that I do. I'm interested in the science. And as a scientist who's working on these great big things, like, yeah, you can indeed conceivably hurt a lot of people mm. with what it is that you're finding but everything is like that everything is a dual-edged sword just in the concept of an automobile mm. the ability to use an automobile we live in southern california we couldn't mm. live without mm. a car and yet how many people die because of cars mm. that goes through there because if you go that fast and you hit somebody mm. they're going to die. is it worth it is it worth it? And that's that's an ethical question, mm-hmm. and scientists really do think about that, and that's why we have things like, okay, and yeah, you can you can make an internal combustion engine that allows your car to go hundreds and hundreds of miles yeah. an hour. We see them on the big road races. You're not allowed to have that on the streets because it's too dangerous mm-hmm. to actually use. We have the second amendment that allows you to have a gun. Well, a gun is very useful for lots of things. <laughs> excuse me, for dealing with hunting and protection and stuff like that. But it does mean that you can go out and shoot somebody. Is it worth it? And we have to have these ethical Mm -hmm. conversations. And that's, in some sense, what that I think is, if you can get that into your Mm -hmm. thing about Copenhagen, is that it's not so much about the science. Mm -hmm. You need to know enough science to realize that they are talking about Mm -hmm. building a weapon that can kill millions Mm -hmm. of people What is the ethics of that and of getting into them discussing, oh, my God, do you realize what path Mm -hmm. we're on? That, I think, is kind of the heart of Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And why I like it Mm -hmm. is that it deals with the deep ethics of science. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lovely little phrase for that.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Okay, it's, yes, we're getting there.
0: So thank you very much. This has been sweating the small stuff with Eli. Thank you very very thank much you. for this. Thank you so much. Um, hopefully, I will have this up real real soon. Now, of course, why am I saying that? Because if you're listening to it, I got it up. <laughs> uh, but thank you very much for this. Is Brian Evans with sweating the small stuff, where the devil's in the details.